Father, thank you that we can be in this room and thank you that we, we just enjoy the freedom to sing your praise and to ask you to make us more aware of your presence. And, and thank you, God, that we can talk to you and you hear us, you answer prayer. We would ask God right now that, that you would speak to us words of encouragement, words of challenge, words that we need to hear. And uh, we ask God that we would make good use, you would make good use of this time in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have been reading through the book of James, you'll notice that there are a few themes that we see over and over and over again. A few concerns that James comes back to as though he wants you and me, the readers of this little letter that he writes, to pay particularly close attention to. For example, uh, trials and hardships is one. That's a big one. That, that gets picked up several times in this short little book of James. What do you do in the midst of trials and, and hardships? How do you view them? Uh, he emphasizes the importance and the practice of patience in the midst of trials or in the midst of circumstances. Patience is a big theme of James. Uh, he encourages Christians to take care of the weak, to take care of those who are vulnerable. That's a, a part and, and piece of what it means to have a genuine faith is to see people the way God sees them and to be involved in their life in helping and assisting them. And as we're going to see today, James repeatedly issues warnings about the power of words. Uh, he talks about speech and the things that come out of our mouths. If you were with us just a couple weeks ago, we noted James' brotherly wisdom back there in chapter 1, where he encouraged us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Uh, today, we're going to see James pick up the same general topic of speech, only now he's going to focus less on when we speak or how much we speak and more on the content of what we speak, the words that come out of our mouths. Uh, James puts it this way. This is chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And uh, there it is. Uh, he starts with a word to people who are in positions of, of influence. Uh, teachers. He says, people who tell others what to think or what they ought to believe or how they ought to behave and things of that nature. And these are people who, in general, others listen to. And he says to them, uh, you need to be extremely careful because you will incur a stricter judgment. And I got to tell you, when I read that, that makes me very nervous because uh, I, I very much do want to be accurate and I very much do want to be faithful to what the scriptures say and to what God is saying. And I pray towards that end. When I write sermons or I'm thinking about getting up in front of people, I work towards that end to be accurate in terms of reflecting what the scriptures teach. But I am sure uh, I am certain at times I've failed. And James says, I'll be judged more strictly. And I would just say to you, this is one reason why I and others who teach up here or anywhere for that matter need your prayers. Um, th this isn't just lecturing. This, when you get up here and you try to open God's word and you want to talk about it, it's not the same as going to the Rotary Club and coming up with some clever ideas that you can present. Um, there's actually a stricter judgment going to be incurred for those who speak and claim to be teaching, 
the word of God. So pray for us that we would be accurate. Pray for us that the words that we read and that we, are, we prepare to talk about would impact us deeply, truthfully, uh, would change us so that what we share aren't just, you know, stuff you need to do. It's stuff we're doing, you see. Vitally, vitally, vitally important. Um, and that's a, a role in kingdom building that you can take on yourself just to pray for those who get up and teach or say things or read scripture. Just pray. You can, you can even do that when you show up on a Sunday morning. If, you know, the three of you that show up early, you would be able to <laughs> sit there in your chair. And, and, you know, one thing you could do is not just look at the bulletin or the street. You could actually pray, Lord, help those who are going to get up here today to be where they need to be to say what they need to say, to believe what they say and practice it, right? Very important. James continues. It kind of goes from bad to worse, actually. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Is that true? Yeah, Yeah, I'm afraid it is. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue. James will use this phrase a lot, this word a lot, the tongue. And what he's talking about are the words that the tongue produces. But likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Uh, with this, James lays the groundwork by naming something that everybody in this room knows to be true. I mean, we just, we just know this, and that is simply that our words matter. And you're going to get tired of hearing me say that this morning. I'm going to say it quite a few times. Our words matter. They have impact. You could even say in some sense they give shape to our realities. They plot the trajectory, the course of a person's life. So James is saying we've got to pay close attention to the words that come out of our mouths. We've got to take this seriously. And then he offers these two insightful metaphors, one about a horse and another about a ship. He says both the destiny and the direction of the horse, the destiny and the direction of the ship are determined by this this small but hugely significant piece of equipment. The bridle steers the horse. The rudder steers the ship. In like manner, James says, the tongue, this little bitty deal, the tongue, the words it produces, they steer your life. A long time ago, a a British writer by the name of Giles Brandreth guesstimated that in the average lifetime, a person will speak 860,341,500 words. I have no idea how he came up with that number, but, you know, that was his guesstimate. For reference, that would be like opening your Bible and reading it out loud, right, 1,110 times. That's about the same number of words. The point that James is making is those 800 plus million words, those sentences at times, are, they feel like throwaway sentences. They seem insignificant, but taken as a whole, they will determine the trajectory of your life and other people's lives. They will determine where you end up. I mean, think about it. With your words, you land a job. With your words, you profess 
belief. You confess a faith, a, a faith that should shape your life. With your words, you do that. With your words, you make promises. With your words, you enter into covenant with people. With your words, you build friendships. You build community. You build intimacy. With your words, you build a family culture. Uh, teenagers, with your words, you get into trouble. And with your words, you get out of trouble. With your words, you get a date. With your words, you lose a date, etc., etc. Point is obvious. Our words matter. They really matter. Our words impact our lives and the lives of others. They should matter to us. They matter to other people. And believe me, they do matter to God. The writer of Proverbs tells us this, that reckless words pierce like a sword. Picture that. But the tongue or the words of the wise bring healing. The writer of Proverbs says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. It's a beautiful picture. Words shape us and the people around us. Words do good. Words do evil. James says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by Gehenna, by hell. And James is right. He knows what he's talking about. Our words... This tongue that's in us and this word producing a bodily part corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of a person's life on fire. James compares the tongue to this spark, this fire, this flame. And the implication is that the words we speak don't just direct the course of our own lives. They have deep reality altering implications for the people around us. Have I said that enough? I'm going to say it some more. Like a fire, our words spread. They have a ripple effect. They have impact. They can set in motion a series of events that are difficult, if not impossible, to stop. Hard to predict. They can be constructive. They can be destructive. Again, not just for you, but for everybody around you. Many of you listening know the effects of this chain reaction all too well in your own life. Words that you received, that you heard, that just burned and, and left scars. Maybe you spent time in a destructive relationship where instead of truth and affirmation spoken to you in love, instead of forgiveness and grace offered in humility, you were always made to feel inadequate, inferior, unimportant. Words told you time and time again that you were not acceptable. You are not okay the way you are. You are not wanted. And those words shaped your reality. And you're still recovering from words like that and maybe will be the rest of your life. Maybe you were part of a church where strict words of legalism you know, stop it. We don't do this. We don't do that. You're so evil for what you do. That kind of thing grew in you this sense of shame that still to this day is difficult for you to shake off. It's difficult, difficult for you to feel loved by the Father, loved by Jesus, because when you think of God, you, you think of a taskmaster, someone who just condemns you. Well, just a little aside, you deserve to be condemned. <laughs> You've done plenty to deserve it. But boy, what a Savior we have right? We're going to celebrate that in a bit. 
Uh, there's, a, there's a lady that I read about who had a very difficult time learning to read uh, when she was little, I believe in first grade. And she remembers a time when she was struggling uh, in first grade, and one of her classmates looked at her who was listening to her struggle and called her stupid right to her face. Fast forward now decades, decades later, this woman became a phenomenal, a highly recognized first grade teacher. And after 38 years of teaching hundreds of kids to read, she said, she confessed that every time she entertained the idea of teaching a higher grade, you know, like fourth grade, fifth grade, that kind of thing, she would hear that voice of that classmate telling her she was stupid. And so she would never pursue teaching older grades. Those words were a chain reaction in her life with huge implications, a spark that formed, changed, diverted her reality. All of us know about this because, you know, what the writer of Proverbs said is true. Reckless words pierce like a sword. We've all been pierced and we have all also done our share of piercing. And so the question that James forces us to ask is what kind of realities are you giving shape to with the words you speak? To your kids, your peers, your co-workers, your friends, your spouse? What kind of reactions are you setting in motion with the words you speak? Now, James continues. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. And this is sobering, but he says, no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be, he says. <laughs> what a contrast. James observes that with our words, we praise our, our Father, our Heavenly Father, which is something wonderful. It's actually something life-shaping. That's why we do this on a Sunday morning, and we do it every single Sunday morning. Some of you are not aware of that, but we do this every single Sunday morning. We gather in here, and we use words to sing and words to pray, and then you listen to words, and you do with them whatever you will, but words impact us. They, they help us remember truths that we need to remember, and that's why we do this. That's why we, we use a lot of words on Sunday morning. It's good to praise the Father. It gives shape, form, reality to our lives. And with our words, James says, we also curse men. Now, that's interesting. Human beings that God made, God designed, God loves in spite of their sin. Those human beings, we, we sometimes slander. We sometimes belittle them. And we can, if they hear us, if they become aware of those words of slander or belittlement, that can actually shape and form their reality, something they've got to process and now deal with. And that has been the power of words right from the very beginning. In the very first chapter of the Bible, chapter one, Genesis chapter one, we see that words have tremendous power. 
When God speaks, he's not just conveying information, take it or leave it. No, he's creating realities. He's defining reality when he speaks. He's bringing things into existence and he's, his words are having impact right from the very first, very first moment uh, that we encounter God in Scripture, Genesis chapter 1. In the creation account, we learn all kinds of vitally important things. Each day with that phrase, uh, as the phrase opens up, it, 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 each day opens up a saying, and God said. He used words. He spoke. During the first three days, God speaks into existence, day and night, the sky, the land, the sea. And then the next three days, days four through six, God speaks and he fills the void of these spaces that he earlier spoke into existence. Uh, night and day, he, he creates the sun, the moon, the stars to govern the night and day, to fill the night and day. Day five, he speaks and he fills the sky with birds. And day six, he speaks and he fills the sea and the land with living creatures, all kinds of wonderful living creatures. And each day, what God speaks into existence is pronounced as good. It's good. And these words tell us something very true about the character and the nature of our God. How he uses words. When God speaks, his words fill voids. When God speaks, he gives identity, true identity. When God speaks, he defines. His words are always truthful. His words are life-giving. They bring good into existence. They bring blessing. That's who God is. That's what his words do. We're told that when God created human beings, that God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God is a God who gives shape. Uh, he is a God who defines. Uh, here he's actually giving human beings, Adam and Eve and all of their posterity right down to the present. He's giving us a purpose. He's giving us a calling. Rule over and subdue. And do it for the glory of God. It's interesting to me that from the very beginning of Scripture, we see how important speech is. Now, unfortunately, there's another story that unfolds having to do with words in the early chapter, chapters of Genesis. Um, the serpent uses words. And the serpent introduces a whole new thing into the system. The serpent uses words to lie uses words to deceive, uses words to actually question the goodness, the intentions of God. With words, the serpent convinces the man and the woman to not trust God. They, they, his words express a, a lack of trust. You shouldn't really trust what he tells you. And uh, Adam and Eve choose not to trust, and that is indicated by what they do. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that tree that God told them not to eat, not to eat of. And they were believing the words of the serpent, not God's word. And I hope even as I'm saying all these things, I hope the thoughts occurring to you, well, you know, we, we have the word of God. It's called the Bible. What, what do I do personally with that word? How do I make use of that word in my regular, ongoing relationship with God. You know, I challenge you to be reading the book of James and to read it over and over and over, to digest it, to get familiar with it, because it is a New Testament book of wisdom. I hope some of you are doing that. 
I guarantee you, if you are doing that, you're having a rich experience with the word of God as it shapes your thinking, as it challenges your thinking. That's what the word of God does. It brings us from a place of lies and deception to a place of truth, whether that's about ourselves or about someone else or about a circumstance and a situation. You see, Adam and Eve, going back to the story, they suspected that they would be better off fending for themselves, better off deciding for themselves than listening to God and to God's word. The serpent's words led to the formation of a terrible, catastrophic new reality, a reality of sin and death and evil and brokenness, a broken world. Talk about a chain reaction. From words. From the serpent's words come Eve's words to deceive Adam. We don't know what those words were, but it worked, whatever she said. And then Adam uses his words to blame the woman. (laughs) And unfortunately, this is the pattern. This is the way we have been using our words ever since then. It's both stories. We use our words to praise God, to bless him, to bless others. And we use our words to curse and to condemn and to blame. It was that way then, it's still that way today. And here in James, James is asking us, he's challenging his readers, which chain reaction will you perpetuate? Which story? And again, the whole perspective, this whole perspective comes from James, I'm pretty sure, watching his brother Jesus as they were growing up. As Jesus entered into his public ministry, James watched Jesus use words to comfort the brokenhearted, the destitute. He watched Jesus use words to encourage the downhearted, to oppose evil, to heal the sick and the disabled, the blind, the lame. James watched Jesus speak truth always, never spoke a lie. Watched Jesus teach truth. You know, Jesus' use of words, was, it was so powerful. There's numerous uh, instances in the Gospels where we get a reflection of how people responded to the words that Jesus spoke. Once when he was in Nazareth, this was his hometown. This was a town that mostly entirely rejected Jesus. They just couldn't get beyond the fact that this is the guy who grew up among us and he's claiming to be God. And that was a real stumbling block for them. And the leaders in that town uh, rejected Jesus. But when Jesus was first there beginning his public ministry, he's in the synagogue and he's teaching the scriptures to them. And he's claiming to be the son of God. He's claiming to be the one who is finally coming and bringing the kingdom. And uh, when he was finished teaching, we're told this, they say, it says that all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. His words had impact. We know that one time when Jesus was teaching in the temple, and the irony here is is, uh, pretty thick. It's pretty thick because of the two different things going on. It says, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. They wanted to get rid of this guy. He is messing up our system. He is challenging our authority and our power. We have got to get rid of this rabbi. And yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Jesus knew that his words mattered. Jesus' words were always truthful. One time he said this, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
How important the teachings of Jesus. How important the word of God for us to read it, digest it, be shaped by its reality and not other realities. You see, Jesus, this is who James grew up watching, listening to, interacting with. And this is where James gets his wisdom that he's sharing with us from Jesus. Interestingly enough, the word who became flesh. And James is warning and challenging us to understand that the words we use matter. They have impact. And with our words, we can advance our own little kingdoms. And when we do that, it's usually at the expense of another person. Or we can advance the kingdom of Jesus out there and into the lives of other people. Truth be told, we've done both, haven't we? Good and bad. With our words, we've told truth and lies. We've used words to build up and we've used words to tear down. We have all said things that we wish we could take back later. Some of us have developed patterns of speech that dishonor God, that just routinely hurt the people around us. And frankly, when we do that, we very much dishonor ourselves. Our speech is like a spreading fire. It's like a chain reaction and our words just perpetuate destruction because we don't think about what we're going to say. We just blurt it out. And James says, my brothers, this should not be. He also says, he asks us a question, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What's he saying? Well, he's, he's saying we have a big, big problem. That's what he's saying. Because you see, if I'm a salt water spring, if I'm a fig tree trying to produce and bear olives, or if I'm a grapevine trying to bear frigs, well, I've got a big, big problem. It's not going to happen. Something is deeply wrong. And if I'm using my words destructively, it reveals something about what's going on inside me. We can only speak words from where we are and from who we are. And unfortunately, the truth is that who we are has been significantly shaped by the words that have been spoken to us. So question, just curious. Anybody here have any difficulty, any concerns, any issues with the words or the language you use? Anybody here ever wrestle with the problem of hurting others, belittling others, slandering others, tearing others down, cursing others' hands? Anybody? Oh, just me. Just, uh, just five or six of us. The rest of you are the perfect person James is talking about. Liars. You're a bunch of liars. You see, here's the deal. Now we're talking about a boat we're all in. We're all in this boat. And the question is, man, what do we do about this? If it's this serious, and I hope you see that it is, how are we going to change? Because we need to. How are we going to change when James says, no man can tame the tongue? It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Man. I mean, if that's true, how do we practice wisdom when it comes to our speech, the words we use, the things that come out of our mouth. 
This is a loaded, loaded question. Here's the answer. Well, just try really, 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 really hard <laughs> to change yourself. Uh, say to yourself, you know, from now on, I'm just going to use words differently. I will only speak truth and love. I will speak less. I will become an encourager. I will make my speech full of grace and truth. And that's wonderful. That's great. And when you fail at that, because you will, you will fail at that. I mean, it's a good thing to do, but you will fail at that. Then what? Then where do you go? You're right back where you started. Well, James tells us, and it's a pretty penetrating analysis of, of how a human being actually changes. James, James gives us the answer. He says, first, just be honest about what's going on in here, right? Be really painstakingly honest. And what's going on in here, James would suggest, is stuff like anger, frustration. Life will do that to you. If you're not angry, real angry yet, or real frustrated, you're just not old enough. You, you'll get there, trust me. Anger and frustration about all kinds of things. People make us angry. People frustrate us. My body makes me angry and frustrates me. You wouldn't believe how good I used to look. <laughs> it's angering. It's frustrating. And then there's envy. There's selfish ambition. You know what selfish ambition is? It's, it's I want what I want. I don't care what you want. I want what I want. And you see, this is the stuff that's behind a lot of what we say. This is the stuff that ignites our speech. And James says we have got to own the fact that this stuff is inside us. And that, you see, this stuff inside us is not wisdom from above. That stuff is from the devil. It originated in the garden. It originated with the devil. Adam and Eve bought the lie. We're still buying it today. This is how James puts all this. He says, uh, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. Yes, absolutely. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, let me just, you know, anybody here not harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition? That's the problem. We all do, in varying degrees and around varying things. But he says, he says, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Own the truth, he's saying. Such wisdom, that boasting and that denying, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. The devil will keep you believing stupid things about yourself. I'm better than Holly. You see, stupid things we believe about ourselves. That's not wisdom from above. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Well, that, my friends, that, that's the ugly, sinful stuff in us. That is wisdom from the devil. And so James is saying, look, if any change is going to happen, if you're going to control the tongue, which no man can control, you've got to own the truth. And the truth is that there's broken, sinful, ugly stuff inside you that drives a lot of what you say. That's the first thing. Is that a happy thought? Here's the second thing. And this is going to shock you. 
turn to Jesus. Where else would James tell us to turn? Remember, Jesus is his brother. Jesus is the one he's been watching. Jesus is the one he's come to believe is indeed, in fact, God. And he says, turn to Jesus. It's this table in front of us, in fact. James says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven. Well, what is that, James? Who is that? Who is the wisdom that comes from heaven? Well, that's really holy, completely, and totally Jesus. That's where James uh, has been getting all of these thoughts all along. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Who is that describing? I've given you a clue. That's Jesus. That is wisdom. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. James is encouraging us to embrace a wisdom that did come down from heaven. That is not earthly. That is not unspiritual. That is not of the devil. James is encouraging us to embrace Jesus, the literal, literal embodiment in the flesh, wisdom of God. And if we want to change our words, the words that come out of us, we've got to change what's inside us. That's the point. And only, only Jesus can do that. If I let his truth, Jesus' truth, the word of God, define me and support me and guide me and rebuke me and forgive me, then I, I am driven by his love and his forgiveness. And I love him back and I start to view you the way he views you. And you start to view me the way he views me. And then I use my words both to worship God, but also to bring the kingdom of God into the lives of other people. Encouragement, truth, wisdom, love to others. Words of truth and life and blessing. It's the ripple effect, if you will. By owning who I am, a sinner, by coming to Jesus, who's the only real forgiver, his love changes me. It changes me from the inside out. And that's really my only hope of deep and lasting change right there. I don't know of any other. I mean, you can read all the self-help books on the shelves. And I'm not saying to you, you'll get no good ideas there, but you'll get no lasting change there. That I will tell you. The Apostle Paul talked about this. He knew it. I mean, remember, the Apostle Paul is the guy who, uh, you know, was out there persecuting the church, right? I mean, he's the guy who hated Jesus, hated what he represented, hated this new group of people called Christians. And the Apostle Paul later, of course, starts following Jesus. And the Apostle Paul said this. He writes to the church at Corinth and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Paul needed to be a new creation. He said, the old is gone, the new has come, and all this is from God. Paul's saying, I didn't do it. God did it. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That phrase there, ministry of reconciliation, is the same as being a peacemaker. And because you're a peacemaker, having a harvest of righteousness. Notice, we don't have a ministry of reconciliation until we have been reconciled reconciled to God through Jesus. 
And that is what a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus actually is. We are, in fact, a reconciler. We are, in fact, people who reap a harvest of righteousness. You see, because Jesus loves us, reconciled us to God, we are inwardly changing and we embrace the wisdom that's from above, not from the devil. And so if you want to control your tongue, if you want to control your words, there has to be inner transformation. Fig trees don't bear olives, nor do grapevines bear figs. Old cells will repeat the same old words. Condemning words, hurtful words, hurtful patterns, words that leave scars. If you want to control not just how much you speak, but also what you say when you speak, you need to become a new creature created in Christ Jesus. And you can do that very easily. You can do that by giving your life to Jesus Christ. And saying, I, I, need you to, I need you to guide me, Jesus. I need you to love me. I need you to forgive my sins. I need you to remake me from the inside out. What's interesting to me is that uh, we've been given a meal by Jesus that reminds us of everything we're talking about this morning. Uh, it reminds us that literally just for for nourishment's sake, spiritual nourishment's sake, just for spiritual survival's sake, just for uh, the, the, the sake of being healthy, we need to feast on Jesus. We're going nowhere without Jesus. So, so your, your faith, your, your proclamation of your faith, the words that you use to say, Jesus, I believe in you, I follow you, those words are what begins the transformation within that vitally important transformation, that the ripple effect is it even affects how we speak. It even changes that poisonous tongue that we use. But it all begins here. It all, it all begins in understanding that Jesus' body was broken for you. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And Jesus invites you to come to the table that he hosts. But the only right way to come to this table is in surrender. It's in faith. It's saying, Jesus, I I need you. I need you to save me, I need you to change me. I need you to stop the destructive patterns that I put in motion and bring redemptive, reconciling patterns into place to replace it. So we invite you to partake of this meal with us, but uh, to do so only if you have faith in Jesus. Parents, you need to know where your children are in this respect too, and whether to have them partake or not depends on, do they understand what's symbolized here, the broken body and the blood of Jesus shed? Um, we'll be passing out the trays in a moment uh, to you. And when you receive the tray, uh, you will just pass it to your neighbor as it comes by. And if you're comfortable, you can say to them, you know, the body of Jesus broken for you, or you can say the blood of Jesus shed for you. We're going to ask everybody to hold each element until we can partake together. So I'm going to pray and those who are going to serve us will come forward as I pray. Let's pray together.
Lord, the words of James are very, very convicting. And, and we are, if we're honest, Lord, just we have to confess that our tongues, with them we praise you and with them we curse people around us. Our, our words can be constructive, they can be so destructive. Our words can be like the words of Jesus or they can be like the words of the devil, full of lies and destruction. God help us. We come to this table, Lord, desperately, really. We confess with our tongues that we believe in Jesus and we thank you for his body broken and bloodshed that purchased our salvation. We are thankful for the forgiveness and the mercy he gives us. And it's in that light that we ask that you make us reconcilers. We ask that you let us be peacemakers who bring a harvest of righteousness into places and to people around us. Father, would you feed us? Would you nourish us spiritually? as we partake of this meal together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.